0: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit
1: Excited to bring in uh, Eric Walden of the Salt Lake Tribune, one of our good friends from the show. Eric, how are you doing this Saturday?
0: I'm doing all right. How are you gents today?
1: Doing awesome, doing awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. So we were expecting way more news to be able to talk about on this week's show, Eric. I think a lot of people were. Even though your Twitter poll, it sounded like most fans weren't expecting anything, Um But the Jazz stood pat on draft night on Thursday. Uh, So I think a lot of people are curious. I'm certainly curious. Have you heard anything? Were there opportunities for them to get involved and they just turned them away? Or was it more of like, or was this kind of the plan to kind of stay, be content without making any picks and try to sign sign guys as undrafted free agents?
0: Yeah, I I think the plan going into draft night was to, you know, be, you know, willing to listen to whatever offers came their way and you know that they were speaking with teams, you know, uh, that teams are always talking to teams, right? Like it's, it's, it's always funny when I see, you know, reports come out ahead of the draft, you know, saying, Oh, sources say that they're talking to multiple teams. And it's like, you don't need sources to tell you that, you know, <laughs> like, not, not that I'm ripping on anyone, but it's like, that that's kind of an intuitive thing, right? Like that's, that's the nature of how this played. And so they went into the night and, you know, if, if we know one thing about the way that Danny Inks has operated um, during his, his time overseeing the Celtics basketball operations, it's that he is not going to like make a panic deal, right? Like he's very kind of deliberate and thoughtful. Uh, he has a reputation for always quote unquote, wanting to win the trade. Uh, I don't know that <laughs> there are too many deals to be done in this day and age. If, if that's like, you know, an inflexible mindset. And we know that Justin Zanuck, you know, it also has a history of making moves with this organization. So I think they went into the night, you know, prepared to make a deal. If there was something that came along that they liked, and it just so happened that, um, on that particular night, uh, you know, nothing struck their fancy. Nothing came along that they thought was worth doing. Um, certainly there were, there were offers made to them. And, um, you know, you referenced the Twitter poll that I put out in the hours ahead of the draft saying, Hey, Jazz Jazzband, what do you expect to happen tonight? A, you know, trading Rudy Gobert in a big deal. B, trading, you know, someone, uh, you know, maybe a, a step or two below in a more minor deal. Uh, C, at least they'll buy into the second round or D, you expect nothing. And as you mentioned, you know, I think it wound up being like 42% of the people saying, nothing's going to happen and and they were right but you know i would just say to jazz man like the fact that nothing happened on draft night uh doesn't mean that nothing is going to happen going forward you know the offseason is a long process there'll be plenty of other opportunities for them to make a deal with some other team if something else comes along that they like better and you know that being said uh maybe we do wind up in a situation where they just simply don't wind up trading any of the big pieces. I don't think that's necessarily a likely outcome, but it's it's a possible one if they just decide that, you know, none of the offers they get are, are worth doing the deals.
2: So Eric, you mentioned going forward there there might be be an opportunity for the jazz to make a deal. Do you think that front office wants to wait until they get a head coach in place to kind of get their take on the roster and kind of get their input on it or do you think that uh, they'll just they'd rather just go ahead and and do it before they get the head coach in, in there?
0: That the the way you described it would make all the sense in the world to me, you know, to have a coach in place and and to, you know, get their perspective on how the roster is going to play out. And yet we've seen over the years that that's not necessarily how front office operate. You know, a lot of times we see, uh, you know, presidents of basketball operations or general managers, you know, kind of be the ones shaping the roster construction. And then as, you know, if, if they're doing a coaching search along the way, um, you know, they bring in someone who they think can handle what they have put in place. So, while it makes sense to me to like have a coach put in place, you know, we heard from Danny Ainge during Quinn Snyder's, uh, farewell news conference and, and we asked him about, you know, the timeline. Do you want to have someone in place before the draft? Do you want to have someone in place, uh, ahead of free agency? And he said that it, it wasn't necessarily important. Um, the subsequent interview that Danny did with, uh, David Locke kind of talking about, um, you know, he and, he and Justin Zanuck discussing the process of hiring Quinn Snyder back in 2014. And uh, Jay-Z told him, you know, hey, that, that took roughly like six weeks for that process to play out from beginning to end. And Danny said, you know, it, it's my expectation that we're on a similar track here. So if you just look at that timeline by itself, uh, there's no way that a head coach will be in place ahead of free agency um, You know, it, it's interesting, Right, like I, I, I definitely see the appeal of doing that, but um, it just sounds like it's not realistic at this point. You know, when we got to talk to Ryan Smith earlier this week, following the UFC two seventy eight news conference, and got to ask him a bunch of jazz questions, he kind of confirmed the details of what we've heard in terms of how the coaching search is progressing. That you know, they're they are doing second interviews with a lot of those candidates. Um, So yeah, it it seems like the chances of them having
2: someone in
0: place by July 1st are pretty remote, and whoever they hire for that job will kind of just go in knowing that like, for at least 22-23, the roster is going to be pretty much set without his input.
1: So uh, you referenced that... Maybe there won't be much input, but given that they decided not to do anything on draft night when it felt like that would be a pretty good time to be able to not only, not only trade into the draft but maybe get a good package for uh, in a Rudy Gobert trade, is there any chance that uh, – there, that Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck are getting feedback from coaching candidates saying, listen, I don't want the job if, if it's not Rudy and Donovan on this team. I want a chance to try to bring them back. Uh, is, is there any chance of that happening, or am I just kind of reading too much into things here?
0: I'm sure it's a possibility, but uh, on the flip side, you know, for, given uh, what we've read this week, and uh, particularly in Mark Stein's latest substack, where uh, he mentioned, you know, he had some sources tell him some things that we had kind of heard, um, you know, little little hints of, little rumors of, that the team is kind of defaulting more towards a first-time head coach, a guy who's been an assistant coach before, you know, rather than going with one of these previous head coach retreads such as Terry Stotts or Frank Vogel. Uh, if that's the case, probably they're not going to have the leverage in their negotiations to, um, you know, make that kind of request. And, and if they do say that, you know, probably I would imagine that, that Danny and Justin would say, well, you know, maybe it's just best for, uh, you to withdraw for your candidacy <laughs> for this position because we frankly can't, like, make that promise to you. Um, nor I think should they. Like, I absolutely understand that desire, you know, like to, to jump into a team with two ready-made all-stars, two guys who've made all-star teams the last several years, one of whom is a three-time defense player, of the year winner, you know, like that's, that's definitely appealing. That's a far better situation than most first-time head coaches find themselves landing in. But, um, at the same time, you know, I, I think everyone is well aware that, um, you know, this is a team that, despite having those guys in place, despite having this core in place over a period of multiple years now, uh, it, it's been kind of consistently over underachieving once they get to the postseason. And so, um, while, yes, you want to have talent in place, uh, it, it also doesn't necessarily make too much sense to, to die on that hill of, we absolutely need to have those two guys in place, Unless, of course, these guys are, are simply making the case that, hey, given what I can do, given the schemes that I've got, given the, my, my style of interpersonal relationships, uh, I can do something far better with this team than what Quinn Snyder did. And I'm sure that that might be an argument that some of these guys are making. Uh, at, at the same time, I don't think any of them necessarily have the juice to say, hey, you know, if, if you're not going to have both of those guys, then count me out. I, I think the response <laughs> in the front office would be, "All right, see ya."
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Isn't that interesting how that goes? When it's an established head coach, they got they can get that leverage. But when it's a first year, come on, beggars can't be choosers. is <laughs> the uh, right. is the reaction. No, that makes sense. Um, so, what was it last week? We had the Sportando report about the the job was down to four people, and then we've heard subsequent reports that say no, the Jazz are still. Intend to do second interviews with the majority of the people they did first interviews with. It, from what you've heard, has it been whittled down at all? We know it's it's probably not down to those four people that uh, Sportando reported, but has it been whittled down at all, or is it? Are they kind of keeping everyone in the dark still on that?
0: It has been whittled down a little bit. Um, you know, I, when we saw the Sportando coaching report, it felt. Um, you know, and and I'm not, um, criticizing their reporting, you know, they have a history of having, um, you know, solid Intel, uh, throughout the years, but it's been more kind of in the, you know, realm of, um, discerning like which Europe, which European free agents are, are winding up, you know, in one market versus another in free agency or going somewhere in the draft or things of that nature. Um. But you had to consider the, uh, you know, the possibility that they could be correct. The thing that that struck me about it, and the reason why I didn't, you know, retweet that Sportando report when it came out, was it just felt very premature to have gone from fifteen coaching candidates all the way down to four finalists within that amount of time, uh, especially given that um, you know that basically would have entailed like just one interview a piece for everybody and then just like immediately, you know, cutting the list of candidates down by 75%. So um, I, never, I never viewed that report as being necessarily accurate. Um, I do think that the, that the foreign names they put out there are, you know, obviously four really good candidates, four people who the Jazz are, are interested in. Uh, those being, you know, current jazz assistant Alex Jensen, uh, former jazz assistant Johnny Bryant, uh, Adrian Griffin, and and Will Hardy. You know, those have been four names that we've heard pretty consistently tied to the organization. Um, I do think that the Shams report that came out at the beginning of the week saying that, no, it, it's not for finalists. Um, they're doing second interviews with quote-unquote a majority of the original list of 15. So what does that mean exactly? Well, we don't know. But it it means at least eight, right? If we're going with the majority of the 15 candidates, there's at least eight people who are getting second callbacks. And, you know, it it could be more than that. Um, But that seems more in line with their timeline of being thorough, of taking their time and making sure that they get the right person um, and then on top of that, you know, we've seen uh, a report from Mark Stein's substack this week that um, among the people who the Jazz have liked in the interview process thus far, uh, one of those names matches the sports hondo list in uh, Celtics' assistant uh, Will Hardy. And the other one that got mentioned in, in Mark Stein's report was Sons' assistant Kevin Young. So two very young guys. Uh, two very much up-and-coming type guys, but also two guys with uh, solid pedigrees. You know, Wolf already coming from the Spurs organization for a bunch of years. Uh, he spent his last season as the top assistant under uh, Ime Udoka, who famously got the Boston Celtics to the NBA Finals. Uh, Kevin Young spent multiple years in the Philadelphia 76ers organization, including under, or alongside, um, Monty Williams, who we've been joined in Phoenix. So, you know, these guys have got really good pedigrees in terms of who they've worked with, who they've learned from. And so uh, it, it's interesting to see if those names pop out this week as, as guys who've impressed uh, the Jazz front office.
2: So, Eric, if, it, if you were to put a timeline on this, what is the absolute latest date that the Jazz could really drag this out to and then also, what are some of like the advantages and disadvantages to letting this go on for so long? Because in my opinion, it would make more sense for them to get a guy in earlier so that he can get to know the team, they know what they're working with, um, and then they can also get assistant coaches put in place so that uh, they get the work done and get ready for next season. So just tell me some of your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, in terms of when like the absolute drop-dead deadline might be um i guess i would say you know with (laughs) charlotte once again you know having decided on uh, a new head coach you know in their second go-around they they, uh famously agreed with the deal to warriors assistant kenny atkinson only for him to pretty quickly pull out and decide that he was going to stay with the warriors and then they uh you know turn their attention to a second go-around with steve clifford um you know that's a situation that helps the Jazz in terms of, you know, it, it wasn't ideal for Quinn Snyder to make the decision as late in the game as he did uh, in that, you know, multiple other teams had already gone through this hiring process and, and chosen their new guys, their replacements. But, um, you know, that that's the timeline that unfolded, and the Jazz are helped by the fact that they are now the only team with, you know, a head coaching opening so um, they can afford to take their time to some degree because there probably aren't too many of their, you know, coaching candidates left at this point who are going to be like particularly uh, strident about, hey, you know, I really need you to make a decision on this ASAP so I can figure out what I'm doing. You know, they, they understand how this process works and if they're that committed to wanting the gig and if they have a legitimate shot at it. Uh, you know, they're willing to take a little time in terms of being able to, you know, get to know the players and staffs and things like that. Um, again, I, I don't know that there needs to be huge urgency about it just because, you know, we're heading into summer league play, you know, first uh, with the Salt Lake City Summer League and then Vegas, um, you know, in the in the early couple weeks of July. And it's not like those rosters are going to be populated by veterans right and and especially in the jazz's case where you're seeing them agree to you know a two-way deal with Johnny Juzang out of UCLA and exhibit 10 deals with Kofi Cockburn of Illinois and um Jordan Usher out of Georgia Tech you know like i don't know that you necessarily need the head coach in place to be making you know uh big time decisions about you know this caliber of players going forward because Let's be honest. These guys are going to be, if they stick around in Salt Lake City, it's going to be because they're playing for the stars going forward. So, um, you know, plenty of time for whoever the head coach winds up being to get to know the actual roster, which, again, is probably not set yet. You know, probably going to be a lot of movement going forward. So that also buys them time. And in terms of, you know, adding guys to a staff, well, um, if they're plucking guys from other Uh, coaching staffs who would be getting, you know, an upgrade in position, Um, you know, the the timing on that also doesn't necessarily matter so much going forward. Obviously, you know, you don't want to drag it on uh, way too long, but just given where we are in the offseason, they've got uh, plenty of wiggle room to kind of, you know, take their time and, and decide on that.
1: Ah, uh, James Peterson and Bryce Larson talking with Eric Walden of the Salt Lake Tribune, jazz beat writer here on Sports Saturday on ESPN Seven Hundred. A uh, couple more questions for you, Eric. Then we'll let then we'll set you loose. I wanted to get your thoughts on the the jazz rebrand and in particular Ryan Smith's comments about them earlier this week at the uh, UFC Two Seventy Eight uh, press conference. Um, he he gave a lot of lip service about how he loves the passion of Utah Jazz fans and how that came out um uh, with the rebrand when they announced it last week and he kind of gave some insights as to where as to why they went with this and even kind of conceded that maybe they were a little too simple what are your thoughts on his uh, comments
0: Yeah it, it it was kind of interesting listening to him you know kind of go through the motions of trying to justify it I think there's an organizational realization that uh, nobody is happy with how this turned out, (laughs) except, you know, maybe he still loves the product. You know, uh, I I mentioned in my newsletter that came out on uh, Friday morning that uh, once the UFC news conference was over, uh, a couple of the reporters who were there and who'd been talking to him in the scrum, you know, he invited us to go up into the team story, you know, asked us, have you guys actually seen, you know, the merch and and the gear in person yet? and let's go up there and take a look and, and talk about it. And so I got to hang out with him for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and kind of, like, hear him once again explain his thinking in terms of, like, unifying the team's look and, like, cutting down on, on the color combinations and all of that. And, you know, uh, you, you, could, you could feel the, the tech guy explanation come through in terms <laughs> of describing why he wanted the look to be clean and simple. You know, that's... That very much strikes me as, as a viewpoint that comes from someone in the tech world. And yet, you know, again, as I put in my newsletter, I picked up, uh, you know, I had a conversation with him where I picked up, it was a white jazz hat with black lettering. And literally all it had on it was, you know, on the top row, the word Utah in blocky letters, and then the word jazz below it in blocky letters. And I said to him, what about this design May, you know, evokes Utah Jazz at all. You know, there's, there's nothing with the colors that ties it to the organization of or the team. There's nothing with the design or the look that ties it to the organization of or the team. There's nothing with the script or the font or the lettering that ties it to the organization of or the team. I'm like, if you replace the words Utah Jazz with literally anything else, it could be the logo or the brand of literally any other company in the world, and you would have no idea that this was a Utah jazz thing. And, you know, he listened. I, I don't think he necessarily agrees with me. I don't think I was going to change his mind. But, um, you know, uh, just personally, speaking as a non-jazz fan, speaking as someone who grew up in Utah and, and who is plenty familiar with the history of the jazz, but who's not a fan of the team and therefore not personally invested in what they look like. My opinion was that the the rebrand and the uniforms were simply boring, that they could have maybe made the colors work if they had gone for something that wasn't quite so simple. You know, I, I, I think his acknowledgement that, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a fair argument that maybe we went a little too clean. I think that's like the closest we're going to come to hearing him admit yeah, this this didn't go the way we hoped, and we understand that fans are upset. So, you know, him kind of concluding the conversation with, hey, everyone, just remember, like, this isn't necessarily an end point. This is an evolution. And, uh, you know, that kind of left me with the impression that jazz fans might have to suck up having this look for for two seasons or three, but that after that you can probably expect uh, some pretty significant tweaks to the look.
1: Eric, it feels like we've had that every two, three years. You know, maybe more fairly, you could say four or five years. It feels like there's a there's a drastic change in the rebrand. Do you feel? I said last week, it feels like the Jazz for a long time, and I think for a couple of decades, have had a identity crisis as far as the brand goes. Obviously, they've got their on court identity crisis, not having a coach and and the the failures in the playoffs, but. It feels like they've got a brand identity crisis that just has not been addressed. Do you agree with me on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're right about this. Uh, My son and I were actually talking about this the other day where he was, you know, looking at uh, updates that other teams have done to their logos and and their jerseys and their color schemes over the years. And really, the Jazz are up there, you know, as much as anyone in terms of like constantly tweaking things, constantly changing color schemes. You know, um, they had that kind of ill-fated black and copper look. You know, in the in the late '90s, early '00s, uh, they followed that up with the the navy blue and, and baby blue combination. You know, in in the teens, and yeah, it's like even if like kind of the the underlying theme is the same beneath all of this. Like, I, I know we've kind of made fun of of Dwayne of the Dwayne Wade's involvement in this. You know, saying. Hey, my mom and I were trying to figure out what your guys' colors are and we couldn't. And that was kind of the the driving force behind all of the, you know this this rebrand. And to some degree that makes sense. You know, to some degree I think it's a little weird in that, hey, you know, this is a team known for a certain set of colors, and then all of a sudden they've got, you know, these these city edition Red Rocks jerseys and the and the dark mode ones, and those aren't normally jazz colors. And I get that, but it's like You're going to have some degree of that with every team having four jerseys at this point. Um, So I get to some degree Ryan's explanation of wanting to simplify things, but there was a much easier way to go about it. Like, what are the colors that people tend to kind of classically associate with the Utah Jazz? Purple, yellow, green. The Mardi Gras colors, right? And they've they've kind of muddled that up over the year with going with blue jerseys, going with light blue jerseys, maybe blue jerseys. You know, it's like if they had stuck with the simple, traditional kind of classic color palette associated with this team going back to the New Orleans jazz days, I think they could have, you know, made a lot of people more happy. I think they could have, you know done something about that identity crisis in terms of you know kind of codifying a certain look and a certain aesthetic that's that's associated and identified with the team so i think going with you know black and white and highlighter yellow like okay yeah it, it, it's bold and it's different and it's simple but um you know clearly no one is happy with how that played out and i think they could have saved themselves a lot of headaches really done a lot in terms of establishing the brand identity that they crave so badly just by, you know, going with the colors that have been kind of classically associated with this franchise over the decades.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. We'll see what happens over the next couple of years. We'll see how long this rebrand lasts and, and see if they can learn from their mistakes a little bit, but it just feels like it's been a long time coming. Let's make it let's at least have some kind of common thread <laughs> when we do this and not have a drastic change after drastic change. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. We really appreciate you hopping on. Yep, my pleasure anytime, guys. It's Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune, Jazz beat writer.